0: Folks, we decided to have a little fun this October while you're waiting for the first of our three in a row main shows this month, so we're posting some older episodes of our Patreon-exclusive show, The Astonishing Junk Drawer. Now, if you're not a patron, you may have never heard an episode of this show, so we wanted to show you what you're missing. Uh, This one is actually the fifth junk drawer we ever did, but it's good and creepy, so we wanted to share it. Now, The Junk Drawer is a very candid show, and it's generally pretty much uncensored. Uh, This one had some bad language in it, so we bleeped a word in it, but when you hear it on Patreon, we don't do that. Also, this one is from before we'd nailed down the format for the junk drawers. They're a little more ironed out now, which you'll see when we drop some of the later ones in a few days. You might hear a few ads in this, but on Patreon, all junk drawers are commercial free. Now, this will be Astonishing Junk Drawer Episode 5, originally posted on Patreon back in April of 2022. Oh, and by the way, quick reminder before we roll this, the limited edition 2023 Halloween merch, including Glow-in-the-Dark Sweatpants, are in the store now at AstonishingLegends.com, It won't be available much longer, so if you're looking for a pair of those, order soon. Our merch team is going to take them down as it gets closer to Halloween because they're trying to get them all shipped out in time for you to have them by then. Now remember, our main show is back this weekend on Sunday, October 15th, 2023. All right, here we go. Hey folks, welcome to Astonishing Junk Drawer number five. I can't believe we've already got five of these Mm. under our belt. What does that mean? Does
1: that mean we've been doing it for 10 weeks? Does it? I mean, well, it's every other I week. I can't do the math.
0: It's every other week, so <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I, yeah, this one
0: will be that. I can't believe it. It's already a lot. So, oh. uh, considering we talked
1: about producing a show like this for years, it's par for the course. We're gonna release a hundred, yeah, of these all <laughs> at once. And then not have to do anything for a year. Yeah. And folks, if Uh,
0: I, by the way, if I sound different, it's because it is my son's spring break and I am down at the beach at a beach house. Yay. Yay. And it's good to be here. I do not have our normal recording set up, but I do have a very nice little microphone that we bought when we were at Podcast Movement. It's a Tula, T-U-L-A. It is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It sounds really good and um, it's portable and I'm recording through that into Zencaster, So it's recording in two places, but... I would mm. be able theoretically to record right into it without having to use a computer or anything else if I wanted to, which is pretty cool if, you're, if there's any tech nerds out there.
1: I've played around with it and uh, it sounds pretty awesome, very buttery smooth. But I have a quick question, Scott. Yeah. You are at the famous family compound, like the, like the Kennedys in Kennebunk Board. You were at Curie Beach. Is That's that- right.
0: I'm at Curie Beach, K U R E, where I, my family has had a place for over 80 years. I'm not even sure how long. And originally mm. that was a little cottage that was made of um barracks from a military a recreational military base yeah. up the road at a Civil War historical site called Fort Fisher. So back in the 19 gosh, I don't even know. I guess it was the 30s or 40s, they decided they needed to put all new barracks at the recreational base. So the military, I can't even remember what branch it is. I think it's army, but they had sold all the barracks for $1 at the base. but the catch was you would have to have a lot somewhere to put it and you had to pay to move it. Ah, right. So my great-grandparents bought one of the barracks and then they moved it to a lot at Curie Beach up the road a couple miles, maybe one mile, two miles. And then I grew up going to that little cottage. And I went there forever and ever and ever. And that cottage was theirs from since way before I was born until about two years ago. Hurricane Mm -hmm. Matthew, I think, did some, not severe, but enough damage to it that it finally bit the dust. And um, Mm. my family was forced to tear it down. But in the meanwhile, my aunt and uncle had bought the neighboring two lots and built a much newer house in like 2016 or 2017
1: anyway, which is where I am now. Very cool. I thought there was a paranormal connection, something supernatural. The U-shaped, you mentioned something before about a U-shaped house or collection of buildings. Somewhere in the area, and I can't remember if it's Wilmington or, you know, some other family connection, but definitely North Carolina, but there was something where some noted spookiness happened. Oh, you're talking about, yeah, that's
0: not, I know what you're talking about when you said U-shaped, that's not mm-hmm. down here at the beach, that is the infamous okay. House in the Horseshoe, um, ah, which right. you can look up, the House in the Horseshoe. Which I think I've mentioned on a couple of episodes of the main show here and there. And yeah. um let me see here. I'm gonna pull it up right now. Forgive the typing because that's it's the right
1: only reason. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason. No, I I know that there is general uh, legendary Spoopiness happening around some of your properties that your family's familiar with. And that's one that stood out. But I couldn't remember the connection to the story because I think it came up in the Phantom Horse of Greensboro.
0: Yes, I think it did. And uh, here, yeah. here here it is. I, I read from the House and the Horse, the official historic sites. That's from historic sites.nc.gov. And if you Google House in the Horseshoe for North Carolina, it's come up. I'll read this first paragraph. As the deep river wanders through North Carolina's Piedmont Plateau and curves in a horseshoe bend, there stands on a hilltop above it one of the first big houses of upland North Carolina frontier country, the House in the Horseshoe. Built around 1772 by Philip Alston, A-L-S-T-O-N, the home became known as the Alston House. In 1781, fighting erupted around the house as Alston's band of Whigs, that's W-H-I-G-S, Mm -hmm. were attacked Mm -hmm. by Tories under the command of David Fanning. Later, four-term North Carolina Governor Benjamin Williams lived in the house, which he Mm -hmm. renamed Retreat. Today, visitors can Mm -hmm. walk the grounds where the fighting raged for nearly four hours, enjoy a guided house tour, see the numerous scars of battle, and feel the bullet holes from the Revolutionary War skirmish. Wow. And the house is fully furnished and features fine antiques of the colonial and revolutionary War period,
1: and also full of ghosts and EVPs. I'm sure.
0: Well, what's interesting about this is, and there is a connection to where I'm at now, is that is the cottage that was just torn down a couple of years ago that my family had, which is the now an empty lot right next to the house that I'm in, and and the lot is so narrow, and with modern setback laws, you can't rebuild on it, so it's just done. But the family Mm. still owns it, but it's an empty lot. So that's next to the house that I'm in, which is a nicer, larger house that was built on two lots. But the mm-hmm. other one was the one that my great grandparents, where they bought the barracks and moved it to there. The connection to the house in the horseshoe is, is that my great grandmother, Elsie Jane Poole, who passed away mm-hmm. some time ago, I can't even remember the year now, but it would have been the early nineties, mm-hmm. I think. She lived in the house in the horseshoe when she was a kid.
1: Ah, so wow. she
0: actually lived there. And I don't even really know the circumstances around that. I should ask my grandmother who was still alive. Mm-hmm. And- She said the story was that there was blood on the walls because for a minute it was a Revolutionary War hospital. Right. And it was that situation where they would paint the walls over and the blood would come back and they could never get it to go away during the time that she lived there as a child. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So,
1: there you go. I did very not expect cool. that yeah, to come up today. Yeah. So there you have it. Well, no, you are at the beach. It's the, uh, the only other thing I know that you're currently enjoying is the occasional low country boil. Yes. We're going to do that tonight. That. I got to go pick it up here mm. in a little
0: bit. I'll take some pictures and get that uh, uploaded to you. Maybe I can connect that with this.
1: Well, mail me some. Yes. Yeah. I just overnight it. <laughs> seafood keeps really well yes, in the mail overnight. So. It does. Uh, but it looked delicious, and I'm glad uh, the kiddo is getting some uh, East Coast surfing in. And, yes, uh, before uh, the whole thing blows away with your gale force winds today.
0: Yeah, my son's taking surfing lessons. This is like the fourth week, not consecutively, but over the past two summers, and it's getting pretty good. Yeah. So I'm I'm happy. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, well, folks, we got a good a good show tonight. We have a great guest, John Killian, who's got some amazing stories. You're going to enjoy them. One is about the ye old Sally House, and the other one is about Waverly uh, Sanatorium. <laughs> yeah. Where sanitarium, Sanatorium? I keep getting them mixed up.
1: I think it's okay to interchange them, as they have, as people do throughout the years. Yeah, uh, this is what I remember from our, our original research: is that uh, both terms have been used for these places, and they're, it's it's very similar. So. Uh, it's like the difference between casket and coffin. Although people out there will say, like, well, I, I can't remember which one. One has the uh, the shoulder shape on it. It's not just a square, uh, you know, it's just not just oh. a straight-sided rectangle. And then one has where the lid has a hinge on it. Oh, interesting. And I think that's casket. And then the uh, the other one, coffin, the lid comes all the way off.
0: Well, you know, when I was looking for our email tonight, and maybe you already knew this, I was reading through emails looking for one to read on the show, and I read one from not too long ago from somebody explaining the difference between a graveyard and a cemetery, which is not something I had thought about Yes, I did
1: see that, and it has to do with the proximity to the church, right? Right.
0: If it's next to a church, it's a graveyard. If there's no church or chapel associated with it, it's a cemetery.
1: Right, and I cannot okay.
0: believe I did not know that. I <laughs> can't <laughs> believe it. I'm embarrassed. I'm glad this is on Patreon because I wouldn't be embarrassed <laughs> to admit that to our full main audience, I think.
1: You know what? When we first started, that was the joke I did in part one of uh, Charles Hoyfort. Yeah. Was, uh, I was, of course, reading the book and looking at your notes, and it's spelled differently in our outline a few times. And for as I was reading the book, I confused Theodore Dreiser oh, yes. with Theodore... Doctor Seuss, yes,
0: Geisel, <laughs> yes, Geisel. Ge- yeah, Geisel.
1: Until we started discussing our notes on it and uh, yeah. talking about it, you know, before we record, and I said, "Like, wait a second, that's no, 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 two different guys." Yes, yeah. I knew this, and I and I knew the books, but the uh, the names, I I conflate uh, letters and numbers sometimes, but I think the if I remember right, it's sanatorium, uh, being a place for recovery, and from what. John and Jill told me, and our good friend Megan, who always joins in with these adventures, I got to FaceTime them, as you'll hear. And what they were saying is that okay, we're talking about Waverly right now. Yeah, we're talking about Waverly now. Yes, and the deal is that they put all that money back in, and they've changed a lot around. That's the word that I got was that the you know the the old entrance and the kind of the side entrance you get into the place that's changed. They've opened some things up. There's a lounge now for ghost hunters and investigators so they've done a lot to it but it is undergoing a lot of change which usually kicks up a lot of the spirit activity if you uh, there
0: you go this at all there you go
1: second yeah. point don't fear folks it won't be scott and i talking about the sally house it'll be john talking about the sally <laughs> house So you know, <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's drone right. on about it but please feel free to have a shot whenever you hear the name mentioned yes within moderation and responsibly of course
0: All right, so before we get to our interview with John, we did want to do the Astonishing Mailbag. And I found a little email here that uh, struck a chord with me. And I didn't share it with Forrest yet. He's going to hear it now. Although Forrest is better about reading our inbox. And I have a feeling he may have already told me this story once or mentioned Mm. it on the air. This is from December of 2021. This was sent by Libby Bruce. I'm just going to read it. And then Forrest will talk about it on the other side. Hi, thanks for such a wonderful show. That's always nice. Yeah. When I listened to the new Devil's Den episode, I was struck by the monkey people and the description of the little Elmo figures. My entire life, I have remembered a strange incident. I was about four, five at most, so it was probably around 1985. It was sunset, and I was standing on my back porch looking up our hill into the woods. At the top of the hill, behind the fence, I saw Grimace from the 80s McDonald's commercials. The big purple guy. He was standing just behind our fence. This was probably 25 yards away from me. He lifted his arm and waved at me. I definitely felt like he was encouraging me to come play. I remember just being confused. I stared at him for a minute. Then I went and told my mom I saw a big purple Grimace in the woods. We went and looked, but it was gone she was pretty confused and finally said it must have been my imagination i'm 40 years old and i've never forgotten this strange moment i started giving it more thought after hearing some similar stories on jim harold's campfire hearing the stories from terry lovelace made me want to reach out and send in my story for the collective knowledge i experienced a number of paranormal things as a child but nothing like that i have continued to have ghost experiences and today i am a professional tarot reader so I've experienced some stuff, but I've never seen a promotional character live and in person out in the woods again. I should add that my mom did see a UFO on our farm in the early 80s as well. Some weird <laughs> <laughs> Please pass this on to Terry if you think he'd be interested. Thanks again for such a great show. Uh, she did add a note. She says here, if you share my story, sharing that I'm a professional reader would be friendly. Uh, her website to that end is cat. And crowmagic.com. Cat, C A T, and spelled out, A N D, crowmagic.com. Or on Instagram, she's Tarot by Libby, T A R O T B Y L I B B Y on Instagram. I think we can also force, we should give her a shout out on the main show for a little more exposure since we used her email. Anyway, I love this story because I, I do get to thinking between Terry and also the stories that Jim covers. And by the way, we're going on his show soon. I know he wanted to have us over. We we should bring this over to him and say, check out this mm-hmm. email, because when you start compiling all that stuff and all the stuff that Terry's compiling, I mean, of course, the first paranormal mundane thought is that it's a pedophile with a McDonald's
1: costume out in the woods. <laughs> but here's Violating the other thing. some licensee copyright infringement <laughs> in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. Then I went to look where she
0: was from because she doesn't mention it in the email. What state do you think she's from? Oh, probably Ohio.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, yeah, Yeah. look, there's nothing that I contend this for a long time, I say, say I, in that I don't know if Ohio's any more spooky than any other place. I think we hear maybe more from Ohio because maybe it's just because it's centralized. It gets known for more stuff like that. Remember Brian, our good friend now, uh, with the Black Eyed Kids segment, years ago. Brian Bethel. Yes, right, Brian Bethel. When he was talking about, uh, when he was a child and seeing a parade of strange Muppets come out of the the static in a a poltergeist fashion, uh, which sounds frightening because they weren't all friendly looking. Yeah. If I remember correctly, you described them as, yeah, they were Muppet-like, but more menacing.
0: Yeah, scary Muppets. No good. That's no good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, and even, it's going to be very disconcerting. I don't care how old you are. As children know, you might be more susceptible or open to seeing these kinds of things. And I believe from the stories that Terry Lovelace was collecting for his book, not all of his stories, of course, uh, these are just people who like our email here, just had to share a story because their experience, there are some things that ring true. They're not all the same. I mean, that's also one of the fascinating things. It'd be boring if it was the same old I go out in the backyard, and there's a 30-foot silver disc just hovering over the backyard while I was playing catch, and then it disappears. Yeah. I think there is different an individual as the individuals themselves. And I think there's a mental, yes, a mental component that is something has influenced that mental state of imagery, and that's what's being used. It's also the thing that, especially if you're a child, no one's going to believe when you tell it. Right.
0: Yeah. And so... It's it's we're going to pluck the strangest thing out of your head that's familiar to you, but also your parents or an authority figure won't believe it existed. So it's scary when you think about how calculating that is. Yeah. Well, without further ado, it's time to bring on our guest tonight, John Killian. It's really great to have him on the show. We're going to talk a little bit about how we met up with him. But this is a good interview segment right here. So, Sarah, if you wouldn't mind, uh, roll that beautiful John Killian footage. All right, folks, we are welcoming a friend of the show here, somebody we've been, uh, you know, I feel like we only met, it seems recently, but it's probably been within, what, the last two years or so, but now we interact fairly frequently. John Killian. John, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me, guys. We've been talking to you a lot. You have been a very busy individual. Don't want to leak anything out that you're saving for your own content, but- uh, if you want to talk a little bit about uh, what you've been up to lately and the stuff you're put together right now, it's it's really great uh, investigative stuff, and uh, I'm sure that our Patreon listeners would love to hear. about
2: Oh, I, I don't even know where to start. I, I guess like uh, two years ago, I think I watched one too many episodes of Hellier and thought, hey, it's a pretty good idea. Maybe I should go out and try some of this stuff. And then it just snowballed into me becoming incredibly obsessed and very in tune with that world. <laughs> You know, uh, something that always fascinated uh, me about their work was the concept of the Estes session. It is bottom rung, like you don't have to have the fancy equipment, you just have to have the right people, a couple of small pieces of equipment, and if you're lucky enough, things might happen. And the very first investigation that we went out to do, which, uh, Scott, you might actually uh, know this, we went to Edwards Road, or Hayden Road, yeah, Uh That was our very first investigation, and we got results on that. And then after that, like my whole world cracked open, and so this is what I'm doing now. And uh, this led us to the most recent ones, the big ones, uh, where we did a two-night stay at the Sally House back in December, and uh, just this last Monday, we returned from Waverly. And both of them were phenomenal, uh, phenomenal experiences, and I can't wait to go back to both of them.
0: I will go to Waverly. I'm, I'm I'm very interested in Waverly. I don't, I'm still not thinking I'm probably ever going to return to the Sally house, but yeah.
2: And, and I can respect that. Honestly, to a, a certain extent, there, there are parts of me that absolutely want nothing to do with that house. But my curiosity and fascination is taking over rather than my concern. Um, yeah. It's just, it's such an amazing place. It's so weird. It's so bizarre. And both Waverly and, and Sally House are full of so much more than the legends give you.
0: You brought a lot of gear, and you and I were talking about this offline. What people don't realize is when you go and you do a paranormal investigation, every piece of gear you bring that records something is multiplying the amount of media that you have to go through when it's done, <laughs> because you're, it's like man hours of a, of a corporation that you have to deal with. Like, How much stuff do you have from your recent Sally House investigation?
2: I don't know, 130 gigabytes, I think I want to, I, it clocks into around um, probably a, a total of 16 hours of video and wow, 32 hours of audio.
0: I was serious when I was talking to you about like maybe seeing if some of our volunteers in the research core might be interested in, you know, doing at least first passes on stuff like that to help people, because I, I think they would, they'd be probably more into it than anything we've ever asked them to do, frankly although you know it's there's some tedium to it i guess but you can sit there and cross stitch and watch your video or you know whatever and look for right or listen for things or if you need to look for orbs or whatever in that house you actually and i don't know if you want to talk about this but you sent me um an evp from the basement yeah i'm
2: not holding anything back so it's if i've sent it to, if we talked about it it's up for discussion
0: <laughs> it is remarkable it is very different from anything that we've gotten with the dr60 You're down in the basement there. What was the camera that you were using uh, for that?
2: Whatever the cheapest full-spectrum camera Uh on... On mm-hmm. Amazon, was. you know, it's, yeah. just, <laughs> yeah, it's the only thing I could afford. So it's a 4K uh, full spectrum camera. And uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but it's just a knockoff brand.
0: And so who was in the basement with you? Who was the main voice on camera, the woman that was speaking?
2: So I actually wasn't in the basement. My partner, Walker, was the guy handling uh, the camera. He's kind of my right hand man on on the podcast and all of the investigations that I do. And uh, the woman, um, you two know, it's Jill. Exactly. So it was just the two of them and then the friend on the phone down there. So that's three people, but only two voices going. Walker never said a word during that entire sequence. And I'm more than happy to uh, forward that video to you guys if you want to share it on the Patreon page for those listening so that they can have context.
0: Yeah, I was telling you, too. um, you know, we both and I've talked about this on the show before, but after the Sally House experience and some discussions in EVPs, I managed to convince Forrest to that we should buy this incredibly expensive plug-in package for Pro Tools, Isotope RX, <laughs> Spectral D Noise, and all that stuff. And he was like, oh, "All right, but you got to learn it." And I did. <laughs> you know, cut to four yeah. years later, I had just never had time to crack it. And even when I did, I was like, "Well, the the other thing is, I didn't want to pull in our EVP into it. I'd rather work on something else." But Finally, it, literally yesterday and the day before, I spent a couple hours getting to know it, watching some courses on LinkedIn Learning, uh, which used to be lynda.com, which I've loved for years. It's a great, a great platform for classes. And But it was weird. It's strange, you know, because the spectral denoiser, and for folks that don't know anything about post-production or tech, the, the long and short of it is you've all seen waveforms and, and apps. They use them on Dateline when they're showing audio or whatever, but... This program takes that to the next level. It looks at the waveforms and it also looks at the frequencies and it it shows you at the same time. And then it's so sophisticated that it treats them almost like you're working in Photoshop. You can go in and paint out certain frequencies. You can magic wand frequencies. You can draw a box that eliminates certain ranges of sound in the clip that you're working on. And it gives you the option to either play what's inside the selection by itself or play what's outside the selection. And then you can apply all these different things to the selections you're making, which you can make all these different ways. So because this EVP, which folks will hear, will play it, it's mixed with Jill's talking. And so Jill is talking and then there's an EVP in the background. So I went in with RX and I tried to eliminate Jill's voice as much as I possibly could without losing what this EVP was. And that was quite an experience. It was very, very hard to get anything out of it. And then, you know, if you go too far, it's just like anything. You go too far and you, you don't really have much left at all. Like you've, you've decimated the source file and then you get this musical weird thing that, you know, an experimental musician would love to, have, you know, bake into a song as a sample. Which is
2: exactly <laughs> what I thought of with the, the most recent one that you sent back to me. Once I plug it in, I'm like, is that somebody singing?
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> for me, and also everyone I played it for—that's a parent. Every single person to a person thought it was a child.
2: That's fascinating to me because to everybody in my circle, we're all hearing um, an older woman with a deep Southern twang.
1: Right eh,
2: out,
1: you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the context, if there was any, because I I often believe that that's a lot of the validation of an EVP is that people will say, well, you're just picking up something on the radio maybe, or somebody on a walkie-talkie. But I would say, okay, but it's a lot less likely is if you're asking a question and you get a coherent, relevant response to that.
2: Okay. So that's, what's really interesting is that there is absolutely no context. Like there was Mm -hmm. no questions being asked. None of that. I think at this point we were all just kind of doing a general walkthrough. I think at this point, I was upstairs with uh, my voice activator recorder and setting it in different places. It was just Walker and Jill down in the basement. And, you know, I only sent you guys that full clip, but I'll send you guys the whole video. And it's basically just Jill talking with her friend on the phone, talking about how she was feeling different vibes up on that first floor compared to the basement and how the basement actually felt a lot calmer. Mm -hmm. And right at that point in the conversation, where her friend is like, you know, upstairs kind of gave me some weird vibes, but down here, it's it uh, doesn't seem to be quite as hmm. constricting, and right at that moment is when that EVP kicked in.
0: Quick questions. Did you Have you had a chance to review any other devices that were in a recording state at the identical time from anywhere yep. else in the house? You have. Can you hear it on anything else? No. It's only present on the one in the basement. Yep. And no one heard it in situ. It was only on the recording after you reviewed it. It was not heard as it happened. Jill didn't hear it. Nobody heard it.
2: Yeah, if you let that video play out after it happens, everybody just keeps going on about their business. I mean, that's tip of the iceberg because there's actually a lot of other EVPs we've got from that one trip that I haven't shared with you guys yet, one of which included music. And I am still trying to wrap my head around that one. It was a piece of a really, really obscure... 2010 techno song that never would have hit any major airwaves. It would have been played around the local area. And it was doubled up with a woman's voice saying a couple of phrases that might have been in relevance to some of the discoveries we think we made while we were there.
0: What, how did you recognize? Did you just recognize the song?
2: No, I had never heard it before. Uh, so, how I, did you
0: figure it out? Did, like you asked Siri or something? Or
2: the second day that we were there, for context for us, yeah. Um, so the, the second day that we were there, when we, we woke up, we had a conversation about how everybody walks into that place with a story already in their head. Uh, whether it's the legend of Sally, whether it's the story of the Pickmans, uh, whether it's the story of other antagonistic paranormal investigators going there trying to stir things up, which I really cannot stand. So we decided that we're going to get out of the house for a couple of hours. We're going to go see some other spots in Atchison, kind of soak it all in. And when we walk back into that house, we are going to check all of our preconceived notions at the door. Everything goes out. We're going to go in with a blank slate. We are going to openly try to ask whatever is there to try to communicate with us, to tell us the real story of what's going on there. And when we returned from that two-hour trip, my friend Alejandro, who is with us, set up this... uh battery shrine and it was kind of meant to be like a, a tease or, or because the place loves to drink batteries so we we set up a little shrine of batteries uh, right next to the front door and when we get back half of those are scattered on the floor and not only scattered but flung to a distance and we reset the batteries on the floor or on the table and we slammed the door we jumped on the floor nothing could have caused them to go as far as they wait did. where were
0: the batteries again
2: uh, there's that little three-tier wooden thing uh, mm-hmm. right on the inside of the living room. Yeah. So we set them up there. We we tried shaking them around, and it just didn't fly the way that it, we found them when we got back. But also on that table was a voice-activated recorder that Alejandro left. And so when we got back, we started playing it back. And it was a song called, I want to say it's called 420 by a, uh, an artist named Macintosh Plus. <laughs> um, who is also known as Vectroid. Wow. And it was only a 15 to 20 second clip of the song. And then overlaid on top of that, we hear two distinct different women's voices, one saying, bless you, and the other one saying, you're a saint. And that rings a bell with us because we decided that we were not going to approach the house when we returned like everybody else had. We are going to go in there with a clean slate and open arms and say, what do you really want to say? We consider that to be the best piece that we got there.
0: Wow. So far, at least. Okay. All right. Well, so then let's talk about your most
1: recent trip. You went to Waverly where Forrest has been, what, Forrest, is it two times or three times now? 2019 and 2020. And then we had our show. You probably looked this up, Scott. When did we do our uh, episode on it? Was that that um, would have been 2019, I think. And that yeah, one was with James and his wife Steph, who came along with Roger and Jill, and myself. Right, right. For folks that don't know, it's uh, you also went out. You do a little road trip. So, like you said, it, unless you're able to go out every weekend or make a short trip of it. It's best to roll a few haunted, spooky places to investigate into a week and a week and a half or whatever to hit a bunch of these. And then you're exhausted when you come home because you've been up late nights traveling to the next thing. Yep. He's pointing at himself, folks. Oh, man, I'm beat. September 2019
0: was the lockdown show. Yeah. Late September.
1: So what was your impression uh, just as haunted places go?
2: I had an experience there that I can't shake. Hmm. It's really, really messing with me. But before I get into that, I wanna I wanna backtrack for a second and and talk about the Estes session, uh which oh, we're sure. all familiar with and is a very common practice for me and my crew to do whenever we go on these investigations. So the the Estes session is a form of instrumental transcommunication, long way of saying talking to ghosts or whatever um yeah. and the idea is uh yeah you use a spirit box uh it doesn't necessarily have to be an SB7 but any type of AM or FM transmitter that can do a sweep at certain um intervals that you set whatever you feel comfortable with so it's essentially skipping forward or skipping backwards throughout the entire FM or AM wave or range at whatever speed that you set and the idea is the person listening to the spirit box gets hooked up to noise canceling headphones. So that there is further, you know, less possibility for them to actually hear what the operator is asking. So you have the operator and the receiver. The receiver is the guy listening to the head box or the person lis- listening to the spirit box on the headphones operator is the one running the session and asking the questions. And what that does is cut off any possibility of Being able to hear what questions are being asked. And if you're patient enough and you really sit with it long enough, I can tell you that it does work. Uh, Mm. Eventually, Mm. you will start getting answers back. Not always, as we know, like paranormal investigations, 80, 90% of the time, nothing.
1: (laughs) Like nothing at all. Yeah. Yeah. But
2: but that 10%, man, wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Estes session was. Essentially created by, you know, Connor J. Randall, Carl Pfeiffer, and Michelle. I'm sorry, I can't remember your name, Michelle. But they're the ones who kind of pieced all that together. And while everybody had been using spirit boxes or Frank's boxes up until Mm -hmm. that point, nobody had used it in that manner. Right. And we started to apply it. We started to get some fascinating results. And stepping back to the Sally house for just one second, Mm -hmm. the Estes session that we did there that first night, I need to send that to you guys it's kind of becoming less of an Estes session and more of a channeling session. Now it's getting Mm, weird mm, and the same thing happened to us in Waverly. And that's why I had to backtrack there for a second,
0: especially when it comes to different people hearing different things in the Sally house basement EVP that you already sent. Mm -hmm. Do you get a sense like we did that sometimes it seems like this media is, has got metadata in it and that it sounds different to different people on purpose. Yeah. Yeah,
2: that because other people who have told me what they're hearing on that, when I really lean into it, like I can get that, I can, like, yeah, I can pick up on it. But to me, it is very, very clear, like clear as a bell, what it's saying.
1: Right, that's the idea of uh, what Connor had had come up with is, if you've never heard one, folks, it's like, you're hearing the audio from different radio stations or frequencies as it's going down, up and down the dial, back and forth. And you can have it sweep forward or backward. Everything you hear is that you have to experiment with it because you are kind of the antenna with that. And that it depends a lot on the, like you said before, on the people there, on the presences at the location you're at. And you really have to play around with the settings to find when that starts to work. So it takes quite a while. It's like, but the idea behind that is that people will say, okay, well, if you're all listening in a group, you asked a question, so you're really trying to strain to hear the answer you want. That's your perception. You asked a question, you're trying to hear a name, but, but really, is that just your imagination, your subconscious trying to force an answer that you're expecting to hear? And so Connor said, okay, well, let's separate that. So now the person who's interpreting the sounds coming through or the words in that choppy manner doesn't know the question, so they don't have any preconceived notion of, of what to expect. They're just relaying what they think they hear. And also the operator, the person asking the question, doesn't hear that because it's noisy. Then you're taking the operator also away from the expectation. But I think there's another, maybe a possibly a subconscious or a liminal connection between the two people in that now you're both acting as antennas to whatever's out there. Yeah, I think there's something to
2: that, and thank you for bringing it, bringing it back to the S session. Mm-hmm. You you know, operator receiver. The idea of that is that through that skipping noise of jumping through radio stations, you're essentially offering an audible clay for whatever is around to potentially mold words or even. In my case, you get whole sentences.
0: There's also an analog component to this process, which, you know, the success was always better in the old days with when you were measuring these things or trying to communicate with analog sources. And there's nothing more analog than a radio signal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even if you're using a digital scanner. And it's Michelle Tate, by the way. I had to look it Thank up. Thank you. I, that's yeah. who I thought it yeah. was, but I didn't yeah. want to say it
2: wrong. So it's yeah. mm-hmm. Michelle Tate. <laughs> but, yeah, that was that was the big element there is is you're separating those true and uh, those two and forces you put like there's a line of separation between question and answer and not too much crossover but at the same time yeah i do think you're kind of setting yourself up to be a two-pronged antenna you got two people really giving their all to go in there now for me i i work best as a receiver i think it's because too many years just being trained musically and audibly like i'm a good listener yeah, mm-hmm. it's actually kind of taken on a path of meditation for me. So when I when I play the role of the receiver, I check out most of the time when we do these things and I go back and listen to it. I'm like, I said, what now? I, <laughs> yeah, I did not say that. I did not say that. So the one that we did at Waverly was apparently lighting of the fuse. Things were pretty quiet. While we were there, like things felt really active right when we first walked into the building. But then everything got really, really quiet and really, really still. And through the course of the first few hours, we would see, you know, a couple of like vaporous mist apparitions off in the distance. But, you know, obviously so far enough that you stand there for five minutes going. Did you see that? Did we see that?
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Wow.
2: Yeah. And then. Tons of noises, shuffling of feet. We heard whistling. We heard singing. Uh, we heard the occasional whisper here and there. And around 1130, we decided we were going to do an Estes session. And me being the bright individual that I am suggested, why don't we go to the morgue? Mm-hmm. Probably a bad idea. Um, <laughs> but that session got really, really intense. I still haven't reviewed the the video or the audio for it, but apparently I was shivering almost to the point of convulsing and was calling out people in the room and even called out a welcome back to the two people on our team who had been there before Uh, which i found to be really fascinating and at one point apparently i said just wait an hour Uh, And I want to say that the question was like, why aren't you coming out to speak to us or or something like that? And again, I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. But my Mm -hmm. response apparently was just wait an hour. Mm. So almost an hour to the dot, I was off on my own on the second floor. And I saw the creeper. Like almost to the minute. And guys, I got to tell you, I've seen a lot of strange things since I've been doing this stuff, but nothing could prepare me for that. I'm still trying to wrap my head around what I saw.
0: Was it on the ceiling?
2: It started on the ceiling, and then it leapt onto the the wall, leapt over to the other wall, and it kept diving in and out of the shadows. But it started to follow me. Like the rest of the night, any time that I would break off, if I would step off into a place where there was no light pollution, I'd stare down the hallway. It was there watching me like a curious stray animal, like a cat or a dog.
0: Like a cute little Demi Gorgon? (laughs) kind of yeah but that's
2: what's really funny is like the first time i saw it scared the ever-loving bejesus out of me and and i like i went immediately back to the the group breaker and i'm like okay i got what i asked for and i really regret it i really really regret it (laughs) Yeah, Um, i just saw the creeper and i was petrified and everybody was like where i'm like okay group effort now i feel better let's go take a look at it and uh so we went back and all of us stood in that hallway and even the uh our tour guide for that night, John also named John, he joined us and his jaw hit the floor. And he's just like, he leans, he gets down on all fours actually, and leans into the shadows. Like, what are you doing down here? What are you doing? You're supposed to be up there. What are you doing down here, buddy? (laughs) Yeah. But seriously, this thing would not stop following me. And anytime that I would break off for a minute and I was, you know, 40 feet away from everybody else, I would see this thing and it was always right behind me. And so we started to experiment with it myself and one of my team members, Todd, we broke off from the rest of the group for a while because the way that it was behaving, it like it would, it was too inquisitive of movements for me not to want to try to interact with it, no Mm. matter how freaky it was. And so I tried to, and that started with me, trying to inch a little bit closer without having it back off and it worked and eventually we were getting to the point where we were about 30 feet away from each other and i got it down like i crouched down on all fours and tried to start mimicking its movement and it uh that's when things took a really dark turn because eventually we started to see something else behind the creeper
1: well, hold on a second. What does the creeper look like to you? And did it look the same to everyone in the, in the group?
2: Humanoid-shaped. I mean, it, it looked like a human, but mm-hmm. it crawled and crouched on all fours at all times. Mm-hmm. And um, we all saw it in its shadow shape, like, shifting around. But a few of us actually saw moments where light would hit it, and you would see what looked like to be flesh. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looked So light solid. bounced
1: off
0: of it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The way that it bounced off of it, it just made it feel like it was a part of wherever the moonlight was hitting, but it was obvious that that's not what it was, you know. Yeah, uh the entire crew, so a solid 10 of us had witnessed it wow, numerous times that's the time. That's
0: amazing. I don't think I've heard of a group that big with everyone seeing it. it. You know, I would have bet that you'd have said, "Well, you saw it and then when you brought everybody back up, nobody saw it," you
2: know. That's what's been really interesting about this is um I never thought that this stuff was going to go this far. I never thought that I would be experiencing the things that I'm experiencing. And to be honest, I'm actually really struggling with a lot of the stuff that's happened to me since I started to do a deeper dive into this.
0: Because Yeah, well, I don't know anything about that. Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, for everybody out there listening, three years ago, had you talked to me about spiritualism, psychic abilities, concepts of channeling and things like that, I would have said, like, really interesting, fascinating stuff. Cool. And that would be it. Uh, but now I'm in the thick of it, and what did I walk into, man?
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> mm.
2: But the other part of Waverly that really messed me up is, is like I said, me and Todd, this other guy, we broke off, and we were trying to interact with the Creeper. We started to see, like, far beyond the Creeper, we started to see orbs, like, red, green, orange and they were bouncing around like streaks of light they'd go none of this slow subtle floating stuff that would jump into the camera this it looked like somebody had a dulled laser pointer and they were making patterns and eventually everybody else had moved away from the floor that we were on and it was just todd and i staring down this hallway and the light started to happen again The light goes from green on the left side to orange on the right side to red on the ceiling and then another red on the ceiling. So now I got two of them and a damn shadow entity pours out of the ceiling and I'm looking at a humanoid shadow with straight out of a horror movie, two glowing red eyes. That is the only thing that's ever scared me. Hmm. And I, I don't think that was the same thing as a creeper. I really, really don't
1: it descended from the ceiling or kind of materialized from the ceiling and it was like a humanoid shape.
2: Yeah. It popped up about three or four more times throughout the course of that evening. And, um, uh, honestly I've had nightmares ever since, um,
1: (laughs) about it specifically.
2: Yeah.
0: Do you feel that, you know, wait for an hour from now, you feel like the creeper was just the sentinel, the pet or whatever. And the thing that was telling you to wait for an hour was this thing you saw with the red eyes.
2: I think the creeper is, I think it is a manifestation of human emotion. I think there's a Tulpa aspect to what the creeper is. I think it might actually be a collection of these feelings of sorrow and sadness that have built up there. What did
0: you feel when you saw it versus what you felt when you saw the humanoid? My initial
2: reaction to seeing the creeper was Scooby-Doo out of there. Like it was (laughs) run. Yeah. But uh, again, either. like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> 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 um, the initial response that I had was one of fear because I'd never seen anything like it. But after we went back as a group and we all saw it and we all had a moment to like soak it in, yeah, and especially the way that I saw the tour guide react to it, which was fascinating because it was, he was almost like he was talking to the neighborhood dog, like, come here, buddy. Whenever we all came back after that. No fear whatsoever. I'm just, I'm genuinely curious and fascinated with it. And I do want to go back to see if I can directly interact with it. But the other thing that I saw is I've got nothing, I got nothing to compare to. I've got nothing to describe it to. I never thought doing all the stuff I would ever see anything like that. And um, part of me wants to say I never want to see anything like that again. And the other part of me is incredibly fascinated with that. You know, after the stuff that happened to me after Sally House, I'm I'm now really really concerned about going out and doing these things and things following me home. Um, right. I've right. I've had enough experiences uh, at this point that I don't take that lightly anymore. And even with all of the precautions that I do to you know protect myself, make you know, do your cleansing rituals, whatever you got to do. Stuff still gets stuck under the tread of my shoes, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Mm. What's happened Mm -hmm. to Jill? I don't know if she talked to you about it at all, but things have stuck around with her for a long time.
2: Yeah, and honestly, I haven't had anything malevolent happen to me. Most of it has been pretty comical. Um, Here's the funniest thing I can give you. Whatever followed me home from the Sally House actually washed its own tourist shirt. So I have the I Survived the Sally House shirt, Mm -hmm. Basically, I remember stuffing it into my laundry bag because it had a toothpaste stain on it. And I remember dribbling on it. So I shove all my laundry in my bag. I go do my laundry. And uh, as I'm pulling it out of the washer, I notice that like, hey, I don't see my shirt. I let it dry. I fold all my stuff. Still no Sally House shirt. And for three days, I'm tearing my apartment apart. Like, where did I put this thing? It's, it's got to be around here somewhere. It's got to be in one of the piles of dirty clothes that I have. Very much a bachelor life, by the way. Uh, one of the piles <laughs> of dirty clothes that I have somewhere. I finally just give up. And so I say, you know what? That was a st- I'll call Chamber of Commerce. I'll ask them to send me another one. Not a big deal. So I start folding the laundry that I did do. And as soon as I get them all on hangers and I walk into my closet and I spread my, uh, my rack of t-shirts apart so I can hang stuff up. Boom. There it is right in front of me. Hanging a whistle, yeah, And ironed. I don't iron <laughs> anything. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah,
2: it's been wild.
0: Yeah, and that's the kind of thing you describe it to people, and they're like, oh, you're a mistake, whatever. You're, you know, some friend of yours did that, or whatever. This is the thing that people don't get. Oh, which I want to ask this question because, and honestly, it doesn't matter to me. I've gotten to the point where capturing proof is not important to me anymore. But I'm curious when you guys all went back up, did you have any cameras or anything? Did you get anything of the creeper on tape or anything like that?
2: Out of the five different times that parts of us broke off to go check it out, I did have the camera running on two of them. I've not had a yeah. chance to review any of it, but okay. I can tell you that knowing my camera's capabilities, probably was not able to pick it up as far back as it was. Yeah. Even with night vision or full spectrum, um, right. zooming into it, it just it wasn't enough. But um, right.
1: because I was actually FaceTiming. You, Jill, and our good friend Megan, mm-hmm. at the time when you were in the the break room, or I guess the the, the clubhouse room, where you kind home of base, everybody comes yeah. back, yeah, home base, everybody comes back to charge their batteries. And while they were on the couch, I was facetiming them, and uh, something to me, like nothing. I've never really seen anything major like that. That again, except for <laughs> I've never seen anything scary. The thing I saw at Waverly that walked in front of James Willis. To me, looked like a dude in his thirties, <laughs> and it was so mundane that I still didn't even know what I saw. I can't classify that, other than that guy shouldn't have been there. And so, uh, but again, it wasn't. There was nothing, you know, the glowing eyes. It was just a dude. And and uh, and then I thought his wife Steph saw it also, but and that wasn't enough for you. Well, here's the thing is that I, it's, it's like I said, when you see what you saw, like, that's not a person, you know, that's not somebody again, that's not Scooby doing because people think like, well, you know, you know, they want the money to come in. So of course, they get a volunteer or one of the the tour people and they dress up and, you know, sneak around the place and, and scare these ghost hunters. Or maybe they're in the cahoots because they want good evidence. They want to scare people. It's like, no, it's it's there's really nobody there when there's a lockdown. And you have the one guide overnight that we we had one guy and he's downstairs so we're on our you know the last time I was there with Jill and Roger we're just wandering around all three of us by ourselves throughout the whole place no one else was there and uh, oh was only the three of you well that time yeah so that was the last time uh two years ago so yet the the year we went back the year before that that's when James was there and like I said uh but that's my point is that with your t-shirt that's mundane the t-shirt's not on fire it there's no burn holes in it it didn't materialize before your eyes. It's just an iron clean t-shirt. It just shouldn't be there. and you know It shouldn't be in that state in your closet already because you didn't do that. Uh, same thing with the vertical plane. Somebody was a friend of theirs playing a prank, leaving messages on the computer, or they were in cahoots because they're trying to sell a book. Whatever it is, that's the mundane explanation. What I was going to say is that my impression of somebody... Walking in front of James, it's like it's just a person. It's not a dark shadow. It's not a creeper. It's just a dude. Like, and I can't remember, you know, my impression, I guess, was he was in shorts and maybe a t shirt or polo shirt, maybe a baseball cap, but like a, you know, a white guy in his mid 30s. That's about it. And it's not out of place for the other people there, other than they thought, like, yeah, that's nobody. My visual of that is nobody that is with our group. Nobody in our group looks like that. And the guy walks into one of the rooms and, you know, a few moments after that, I look in the room, there's nobody there. There's nobody down the hallway. So that guy, he went somewhere. If he's a real person, he came out of nowhere and then went somewhere and was undetectable. Like, and he wasn't part of our group, but nobody gets in there. And it wasn't the tour guide or anybody. But again, apparently I'm the only one who saw it. So that's what I'm saying. That's problematic with these types of sightings is that they're so uh, mundane I have to leave it there.
2: Buddy, I've been listening to you guys for years and you have had more experiences right in front of your face than most people have. <laughs> you uh, need to come with me. We're, we're going to get you what you're asking for. That's, <laughs> well, that's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. I'd like to see something and I don't know. Again, it's like with yourself. You don't know what you're going to not want to see or wish you hadn't seen until you see it. I'm not, Scared of any of the concepts. I'm not frightened by any of the ideas. I can certainly be startled, like anybody else. Uh, I can be startled by a puppy, but I, in those places, I've had bats whiz within inches of my face, and it—I wasn't afraid or it didn't startle me because I trusted their innate ability to with sonar to guide right past me. And, uh, and they did. And it's like, there's nothing to be afraid of with these bats. I mean, what I'm getting at is that while I was FaceTiming you guys and talking to Jill and Megan, I was using the um, iPad pro. I have it plugged in. So it's on power and I've FaceTimed a bunch on it. Okay. And that's what I usually do for Zooms when I'm at home is I, I've talked to people on the iPad. So I've used it for a bunch of stuff. I'd closed a bunch of apps the point is, while I'm talking to it, it died. It just went, it just shut off by itself.
2: While you were- While I was with- talking
1: to Jill and and Megan, it's like- Jill and Megan, who were at Waverly with John- Yes. On this trip that we've been talking
0: about. Yes. And Megan is our friend, Megan, who we've talked about a billion times on the show. She went to the Sally house. She loves yeah. To travel. Yeah, she goes everywhere. So yeah.
1: You know, they're just on their phone and I'm FaceTiming them. They're just kind of like telling me, you know, what's changed about the place. And we're just kind of catching up. And then suddenly uh, my iPad died. And then I get a text uh, from Jill saying, well, we lost you. And it's like, okay, I can understand again if FaceTime, if an app quits. They, that happened. It decides it's going to quit. That's happened quite a, a bunch. But never has that iPad just turned itself off. And that's what I'm saying. Right. just It turned itself off. It, you know, it's, it, there was no warning. It just died. And so I you know, pressed the on button and it booted up again. But that was weird. But like, there you go. That's pretty mundane except that it's never happened. Uh, it hasn't happened since, but I've used it, uh, for a few years now. And it's, it's never done that where it just shuts itself off. But that was before then later in the evening, Megan texts me. Is like, yeah, we were just got done with the Estes session and we heard your name two or three times come up.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But as you pointed out to me, uh, and in our back and forth through text, that, forest, you remove one R and it becomes forest and right. we are so, yeah. in the middle of a forest. Right. So there is that could to take into consideration. Yeah. That's why yeah.
1: I I texted Scott that a little bit later. Right? I said, well, that's again, that's, that's hard to, uh, to nail down as far as context or relevancy because yeah, it could just be a, a copse of trees, you know, it could be, or it could be my name, but they, they were also talking about the Estesession, also mentioning other people that had been there before.
0: Yeah, what? you're right. Yeah. John. See what's happening here is all kinds of things are happening to Forrest and he's refusing to accept them.
1: <laughs> no, no. Here's my no, here's my point about you're it. Is that with they're, me, buddy. they're all small. <laughs> I don't think it's impossible. But when I hear everything in context of what's happening, the more fantastical I start to wonder about it, let's say. Especially uh, if I don't know the person.
2: That is fair enough. And to be honest, I have started to think that about myself pretty much every day since this has been taken off like I'm every week I'm having i a, a, I'm having to take a moment to check back and I'm like am I losing my mind yeah, yeah. <laughs> or are these things actually happening yeah and are they happening the way that I'm perceiving them like well, I just you know because when I talk about this stuff it I feel like I sound crazy
0: yeah no I know I know I know that feeling too well, John, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us. This is going to be a really excellent episode of the yeah. top drawer. So it's uh, awesome. And
2: I need to do more of this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, brother. Best of luck, sir. Wow. It really struck mm. me how Verklempte got in that one moment about his experience at Waverly. Yeah. That, and I'm going to tell you folks, we didn't record video on that, but we were watching him on video as we were conducting that. And you know, I've seen that look he had on his face and I've felt it, I've had it before. It's that feeling where this thing is just really sticking with you and there's just no question that he saw some. But the other thing that's really amazing to me too is like uh, when it came to the Creeper, it wasn't just him, it was like him and nine other people. Most times it's like, I saw it, wait, yeah. come back. And all the other people come back and yeah, I don't see anything. And th- I mean, this is a right. lot of folks who all experience this, which is, I mean, that's a jackpot. And But then again, you know, and, and people have made fun of me for this force, but- I'm not convinced I want to go have that experience. I do want to go on investigations, but then once you have the experience, I don't always know if it was worth it, because I'm no longer trying to prove that that thing exists, or I have to see it myself, because I believe the people that are telling me about it enough to answer the question without personally experiencing it.
1: Right, right. No, I, I get you. And here's the problem with that, that John was expressing is that sometimes that feeling doesn't stay at the place you're investigating. And right. like if it comes home with, it's not necessarily a spirit attachment, but it could be a resonating emotional feeling that's pretty heavy. And you take that with you and it takes a while to get over. And on the flip side of that, a lot of ghost investigators will tell you that you have to spiritually protect yourself because you can pick up a hitchhiker of sorts uh, that ghost as, I guess, uh, as I guess I was saying earlier, well, the you know, ghosts only just don't happen in the place where people die and they don't just stay there. And so we've talked about this with the conjuring house of that, well, that can't be this person's ghost because they they didn't die in that house. They died down the road. It's like that, I don't think that rule matters. Yeah. I think sometimes people, for whatever reason, there is a a spirit trapped or is tied to a certain place, whether they they have unfinished business. They want to, some other supernatural reason, who knows? There's no one-to-one connection. And so uh listening to a psychic medium who also does investigations saying that, well, no, yeah, they can, ghost, certain ghosts can hitchhike. That's how they travel around. They do seem to need some kind of energy conduit that they can stick to of, in a way, but they do travel around. They're not all just locked into a certain place. Well, like with us, with our houses, we like to go out and get groceries and go on vacations, and then we like to come home. That's right. With what you're saying, I understand not wanting to experience that. I have to admit, I'm still curious about experiencing that feeling that is, I guess, the paranormal undeniable
0: yeah, what you yeah, with this is like John was just saying though. He's saying this is <laughs> happening to you over and over and you and you're refusing to right. accept that it's already happened to you.
1: Well, no, no, there, that's different, Scott, because what I'm saying is that I accept that I saw you know, again, you you question it's like did I really see that? I don't know because it was such a flash and it's like maybe it was my imag- maybe it was my imagination, maybe it was just in my head, no one else saw it. I'm pretty sure I saw it. I have a vague dreamlike memory of of seeing it. What I'm saying though is it's the undeniable thing that you feel in your chest. It's like our very first ghost walk. We went to the Kent Paranormal weekend and the Kent Theater there, and we were downstairs. And that's the very first time I was ever with you on something like that. And I turned to you and you you looked a little ash, and you're like, My chest is heavy. I gotta, I gotta get out of this basement. Yeah, you, know, you know, you just felt very uncomfortable and it yeah. was a heaviness in your chest it wasn't just that spooky of a basement i mean it's old it's like yeah. every old your great-grandparents basement it was like that you know where it's a half of a cellar uh, with the old light with the pole chain it was the guy's workshop and so the maintenance guy beloved guy who worked there downstairs that's where his shop was and you and i love shops i love workbenches. i love shops i love walls of gadgets and gadgets and stuff to put together Uh, I love doing maintenance work. And so I I felt okay, but it was, yeah, it's musty. Maybe it was perhaps uh, the dustiness in there getting into your lungs. There's a little bit of an allergic, little bit of an allergic reaction, but upstairs you're like, no, there's something else. It wasn't just dust and, or black mold. Even it was just something, just a tightness, a heaviness in your chest. And as soon as you got upstairs, you felt better. That's what I'm talking about. It's that feeling, though, that we've had described to us in emails and and personal friends. And then when they experience something, it's down to the core. It's not just, yeah, we're all startled and scared. That happens. You turn around, you see a shadow pass. It's freaky. Yeah. I just hope that if it ever does happen to me, I can compartmentalize it and just leave it on that shelf. Well, good luck with that. Um, Yeah, I'll let you know. Well, you'll be there. You'll probably be there with me. Yeah. And then I'll say like, man, I just uh, just felt a ghost pass through me. And then you'll just say like, well, we just had breakfast burritos. So (laughs) that's not much of a mystery.
0: Uh, folks, that's going to wrap up Junk Drawer number five. We still don't have any kind of outro sequence here, so Sarah will just do something fun or this tape will just stop. It's not even a tape. It's just a recording. Ew. But anyway, <laughs> thanks for joining us again. We'll be back the next Dark Week we have, which I guess theoretically will be roughly two weeks from when the show releases. Thanks again for being patrons and supporting us. It means a lot to us and we really appreciate it. It helps us produce more content like this.
1: particular type of way other than